You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set up to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 391. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Annika Harrison and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Hallo! Hey son, hey son! My computer is purring like a cat. <laughs> Could be a cat inside. I do have a cat as well. But it is, uh, is it purring like a computer? That's the question. Ah, that's right. I, you know, it's so stupid. Uh, I noticed for some reason that it was very hot inside. I have a big stationary computer, and it was very hot inside. So what what's going on here? Especially the hard drives, and I have a number of them. And you then, need to vacuum it. <laughs> well, you could think so, but. What happened was that I realized that the front fan was plugged into a socket that was not active. So for the last three years, that (laughs) fan has not been running. Wow. Long story short, I fixed that. But then then it started to make a lot of noise. And it was noisy already before. So now I replaced most of the fans. And now it is nice and shiny. And it's lit up as a Christmas tree on the inside because nowadays you can't buy components that are not flashing and full of lights because <laughs> I guess that is uh, for the gamers and um, I don't <laughs> care. It makes but, it cool. <laughs> yeah. So that's my equipment for tonight. Sounds good. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I really love using a computer that has no fans whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it no offense. Any noise. <laughs> no offense. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, in exchange to that, I am currently sitting in in a room that is probably pretty echoey. I'm, I really apologize for that. But um, the only place where I could find a little bit of, of silence was uh, the one that is almost empty. So <laughs> yeah. I'm currently sitting in a home in Budapest at one of the busiest places of the city. So apologies in advance for any... Ambulance cars that are running under the window. <laughs> as long as they're not coming for you, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Speaking <laughs> of which, how are you guys? <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> We're good. We're good. We have mm-hmm. been sick for the last uh, year. I wanted to say no <laughs> week. It's only week, so that's why I'm also. I also wasn't part of last week's recording. Mm-hmm. You can probably still hear it a bit in my voice. It will be like one of the many colds we will probably have this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's just what life with a toddler is like. Mm. But I certainly hope she won't be sick at the end of September. Ooh. Something cool is happening in September that we have been talking about a lot. That's, of course, QED. <laughs> and they just published that they're also doing something really special now, and that is streaming tickets. And we all For know it's the first it sh- time ever. Yeah, wow. exactly. And we all we all want to be accessible and inclusive. So it shouldn't be something special, but we know it is. So thank you, QD, for doing that. It's amazing that you're doing that. There are people who can't travel because um it's too far, because of family commitments, because of prices, because well, even if someone can cover your your ticket price, you still have to travel there. You still have to have a hotel or Airbnb or whatever. So it is not cheap to go there. And also some people just plainly can't travel physically. Mm. So the great news are you can now enjoy QED from your own computer, from your couch, from your chair, wherever you, wherever you are, even from your bed on the toilet, wherever <laughs> you want to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, but we should mention it's only the main stage track yes, that is yes, going to be yes. live streamed mm-hmm. because it's always the thing at QED, you have to... You can't get the whole package because there are things going on at the same yeah. time. You can't physically mm-hmm. physically be in more than one place. I yes. guess you could buy a streaming ticket, go to one of the panels and enjoy the streaming from the main stage as you're enjoying the panel. <laughs> I don't th- I'm not sure oh. I recommend it, but it's technically possible, I guess. It's possible. Yeah, yeah, hey, that's actually an idea. But I think most of the things are filmed anyway, so if you like want to yeah. rewind and watch it and then you can also do that at a later date yeah for up to up to 14 days according yes. to the website so it's, mm-hmm. it's really cool that yeah. you can actually do what Pontus just suggested yes. you, 
could. You could. It means you can also say join from Australia or from other parts of the world where you probably don't want to get up in the middle of the night to watch yeah. uh, something like that. And it's also not super expensive. It's just shy of 40 pounds. Mm. It makes it really affordable. Yes, yeah. yep. yes. It's yeah, really yeah. cool. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes. And we really yeah. appreciate the effort by the QED team to make that possible. Mm. Very yeah. good, very yeah, good. Yeah. I should mention also that the shop that we employed or employed, deployed last week <laughs> uh, on our website is now live. And uh, some people have actually bought uh, one or two t-shirts have been sold. Awesome. And <laughs> okay. what I want to plug is that there is a 15% rebate for this week as we're recording, but also the following week. It says it will expire on the 18th, but then there will be a new 15% campaign kicking in. So um, at least you will have a chance to uh, enjoy that rebate. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, mm. and you not, not only can buy hoodies or t-shirts, there you can also get really nice hats, a bit of sun protection, hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and mugs. Mugs, yeah, bags, sports yeah. bags. <laughs> Do we have a nice mug shot? <laughs> <laughs> that's extra you'll have to come to QED okay. for that we will provide you with opportunities to, mm -hmm. <laughs> to take mug shots of us oh you can even get beer mugs I just saw so yeah yeah that's that's right. really awesome guys and we will be happy to see you in the merch <laughs> right oh one thing more uh, I advise people if you want to get a t-shirt take the premium one because the plain ones are a little bit uh, it, they're not the highest quality Do you say that after having worn them in Australia and <laughs> yes. tearing things? Yeah. <laughs> With our ESP shirts, we have been to Vienna, to Manchester and to Australia. So I think we all can say we did a durability test on them. <laughs> yeah, apparently Andras is wearing his now. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's still yeah. doing the testing. <laughs> yeah, I'm still doing the testing. I'm wearing them again now because I used to put them away. Mm -hmm. and save them for, for the next opportunity mm -hmm. to wear them in public. However, now that I know that we are coming up with the next set of them, I, I thought I might just you said, go yeah. out and advertise ourselves on the street. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. So what what is it that we are promoting here? It's um it's a podcast, I believe. Oh yes. And uh, as such, I think we should concentrate now on going. the content that we are providing to our listeners. And the first part of our show is usually Twish, also known as This Week in Skeptical History. And Annika, I'd like to talk about something that is very close to you, geographically speaking. Yeah, also to my heart, I think. <laughs> to your heart as well. Well, it's a beauty. It's an absolute beauty of a Gothic cathedral that I'd like to mention here. That is the cathedral in Cologne, which is in German, and I'll, try, I, I'm, I'll give it a go. <laughs> so, Hohe Domkirche St. Petrus. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, it's the Cathedral Church of St. Peter. Probably the best known cathedral in Europe, but definitely Germany's most visited landmark. And the yes. very reason why it was built in 1248 was to house the relics of the three kings or the three wise men. Ooh, three wise guys. <laughs> yeah, the three wise guys. And why this is the topic of this week in skeptical history is because the foundation stone of the cathedral was laid on the 15th of August, 1248. The interesting thing was that the relics of the three kings were a gift from the Holy Roman Emperor, Frederick Barbarossa, who took them from the Basilica of Sant'Eustorgio in Milano, in Italy. And I'm giggling because it's so infamous in Germany. Like, yeah, we stole them. <laughs> yeah, basically, he stole them <laughs> or had them stolen. Yeah. <laughs> Part of those relics have already been returned to Milan. But why I find this a fascinating topic of skeptical history is because those were the remains of the people referred to as the Three Kings, also referred to as the three wise men or the magi, the biblical magi. Ah, yes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the most accurate explanation of what we know about them because the whole topic and the, the, the whole presence of these people after the birth of Jesus appears only in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. That is the only one of the four Gospels that even mentions them. And there's such a huge cult around it, if you think about it. Like, in Germany, we even have, on the um, in the beginning of January, we have people dressed up as these three wise men yeah. or three, three kings. And they're, they're ringing on doors and expecting money and sometimes a candy. And they write something, inscribe something on your door. So. Oh, I thought they were handing out gold and myrrh and whatever. <laughs> no, sadly not. Otherwise, I would totally open the doors for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the church in some countries, they observe something that is called the epiphany. Uh, that starts on the 6th of January. And mm-hmm. according to latest Christian writings, they were supposed to be dead almost within two weeks from each other. And they all lived up to... In Milan, because that's what was where they were buried. No, yo, <laughs> no. yeah. But the most funny thing about the whole topic of the Magi is that Matthew didn't mention three wise men And he didn't mention three kings. He mentioned Magi, but never gave a number of how many of them there were. Interesting. Um, So (laughs) there might have been between two and 12 of those. But it has to be more than one, yes. Yes, and that is according to later interpretations Mm -hmm. of the Gospel of Matthew. And um, number three was probably thanks to the works of the early Christian clerics who wanted to put together something that has some kind of consistence (laughs) within the the, the, the stories surrounding the birth of Jesus and all that. So later on, the councils of um, Christian clerics who came together to discuss what to keep in and what what not to keep in. So the the canon became somewhat consistent compilation of scripture. As a a result of this, the issue became something along the lines of three wise men came from the East, brought about the important things, the gifts to the Son of God, and uh, those gifts suggested their very high status in their own countries. Uh, Probably one country, if that is for real anyway, um, that the whole whole story... Very doubtful. Very good question. Very doubtful. Very good question. And the three magi also, and that is another very good skeptical aspect of it, the name magi comes from the Greek word magos, which is usually used for someone who is a religious person, but also an astrologer. So the star and following a star in the story, that part might have been because of them being related to astrology. And that they derived some very special meaning to the the whole event. But we don't know how many of them there were. We don't know what happened to them. But they're supposed to have died at the age of 109 to 116. So as with many people in the Bible, they lived up to a ridiculously high age, according to later interpretations. And then in the second century, they became some kind of heroes. And um, around that time, the first supposed relics of these people appeared in the Basilica in Milan. And then in the 12th century, the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, Frederick Barbarossa, just stole them. (laughs) So (laughs) it's the 15th of August that marks the anniversary of the laying of the foundation stone of the Cathedral of Cologne, which is a beautiful building and I do recommend everyone to go and see it. Mm -hmm. But don't take the reason for its existence very seriously because uh, <laughs> it's just ridiculous. And as a pretty much almost local, uh, two more things I want to uh, add to that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because as you said, the construction began in 1248, but they had to actually stop around 1560 and then only finished in 1840. <laughs> so yeah. it's it's a building that took a long, long time to actually erect. <laughs> like in between, they sometimes l- somehow lost their master plans. 
<laughs> so it's a very interesting story. So if you have the chance, book a tour there because they will tell you all about it. And the second thing I would like to mention is that there is a little bit of a legend around the um, cathedral. And that is because there's always a construction site there going on. There's, there's always something happening there. And the legend is if one day the cathedral is completely finished and there's no construction on it, then the world will end. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good plan to always get new funding yeah, to do that's, something. Yeah, that's something right? you can yeah. always do, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a little bit of uh, pseudoscience or a legend that I can tell there. Yeah. Happy birthday, Cologne Cathedral. <laughs> yeah, happy birthday. It's a, it's a real beauty and you can see it even from the highway. Mm-hmm. Passing mm-hmm. Cologne, it stands out beautifully. Yes. It, I don't know if it's an urban legend or if it's actual law, but buildings are not supposed to go higher than the dome around Cologne. So, like, they can be higher, but they have to be further away from the dome. Yeah, it's though. a good thing that Frankfurt is far enough for that not to be included <laughs> in the area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the skyline yeah. of Frankfurt doesn't disturb Cologne. <laughs> but it really is like that. We went home from the Netherlands where we were on holidays. And when I was a child, it always was a bit of uh, the sign of arriving home to see uh, the cathedral yeah. on the horizon. It was always really nice. Yeah, it's ridiculously so, yeah. high for a, for a twin-spired mm-hmm. church building. It's like a... Yeah. So, yeah, recommendation from my side. <laughs> All right. And if you're there, you can always tell me and I can grab a coffee together. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good thing as well. I Mm -hmm. would take you up on that if I were around the area, but I'm I'm usually not. Yeah, but now that we've been talking about a cathedral, I'm pretty sure that uh, the next thing to do would be to poke the Pope. And nobody does that as well as Pontus. So, uh, <laughs> no, it, this is uh, nope for the Pope this week. There's no uh, no Pope this week. No. no, I think it's enough. I think he's recuperating after his adventures in Portugal, the the day of world... No, what was it? The World Youth Day, which was a full week. We know he went back and he hasn't done something very remarkable since then. So I, I think we'll just skip uh, Frankie this week. All right, thank you. But then we are moving straight to the news. Yes, and um, I'll be the one to to start the segment today. And I want to talk about UK voter data that has been compromised. They had an election going on and data from the Electoral Commission was breached. And this could mean that rogue actors, as they call it, could create AI-generated messages to manipulate elections, but also to disinform in other ways. We know by now, we, we played that little recording of me slash not me in an episode of, of the past. Um, we know that AI is getting better and better. And it's sometimes not easy to f- to see that it's not a person behind that or an institution. This data that was accessed in the Electoral Commission hack could actually help actors target voters with this AI-generated disinformation. Voters from the UK, some of them had their names and addresses leaked, and there were those who registered between 2014 and 2022. The electoral system itself is not at risk, because it's largely paper-based, but it can be used if you use the powerful AI tools that humankind has by now. They say this can really lead to disinformation and yeah, makes people vulnerable. There was an example that we can give that happened in Canada in 2011, where automated phone calls were made to voters, which falsely told them that their polling stations had been moved. And of course, mm. that was 2011, and we're, we're like 12 years down the path. We know that by now it doesn't even need to be an automated phone voice. It could be, I don't know, a politician telling you that in the voice, and you wouldn't even be able to detect that. So that's, of course, definitely a problem. Um, it means we definitely have to stay skeptical, because even someone like ChatGPT could generate messages that could be believable, like a huge disinformation campaign would be a challenge even for a powerful AI because there are still other like there's still other media around and people talk to each other and, and hopefully people are skeptical at times <laughs> so as long as it's like the mass and not high net worth individuals or 
individuals that have a lot of power, then it's unlikely that they would be super successful with that. But it never hurts to stay skeptical in that regard. Even the emails um, of some voters are in the system. And um, of course, they also have suspects. They think that Russia might be a potential architect of this. But of course, we always say innocent until proven guilty. Okay, Russia is never innocent in, with, <laughs> with everything. <laughs> That's the last thing I would call the Russian government. But definitely, we can't say that they were it. Could also have been someone, someone else. But as Sir Richard Dialov said, who was the head of the MI6, he said the Kremlin would be at the top of the suspect list by a mile. <laughs> mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. there you go. The, the gist that we can get out of that is don't always listen to what you get via email or on a phone call, stay skeptical and um, yeah, stay, stay alight. <laughs> yeah, even on social media, what you hear yes. on social media, you should be very careful. So from time to time, we hear about how social media platforms promise to prevent their users from spreading misinformation. We, we, we've reported about that a number of times. So don't know how much effect it really has. And it's different from platform to platform as well. I don't see Elon Musk being very worried about uh, how his now stupidly named X is uh, sending out misinformation. In fact... <laughs> Twitter, as it was called back then, stopped enforcing its COVID misinformation policy in late 2022 when uh, Elon Musk took over. So they're not all doing it, but others sometimes do uh, make an effort. On the 15th of August, YouTube announced on their official blog what they call, quote, a long-term vision for YouTube's medical misinformation policies, end quote. And they said, quote, our goal is to ensure that when it comes to areas of well-studied scientific consensus, YouTube is not a platform for distributing information that could harm people, end quote. Sounds very good, I think. It's, I've, I've read through this uh, blog post that they had and it, their ambitions are right. We'll see what they can do. They divide the misinformation up in three different groups. So prevention misinformation. So they will make sure that content that contradicts health authorities' guidance on the prevention and transmission of specific health conditions, as they put it, will be removed. So that, that, that will not happen. They will uh, remove content about treatment misinformation. So if you have suggestions on how you should treat your illness without any grounds in science, that will be removed. And then they will remove denial misinformation. That is content that disputes the existence of specific health conditions. So saying that COVID is not a thing, for instance. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. so, so that's very good. And it covers also content that denies that people have died from COVID-19. That's specifically mentioned there. And uh, that's good. And the, and the first thing they're going to focus on is cancer treatment misinformation. They have another quote about that. So, quote, Starting today and ramping up in the coming weeks, we will begin removing content that promotes cancer treatment proven to be harmful or ineffective, or content that discourages viewers from seeking professional medical treatment. End quote. That sounds very good, I must say. Sounds promising. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, very promising. Hope they can live up to this. And they're taking it pretty seriously. And it's not just about removing stuff. They have also published a playlist of existing cancer-related videos that are good. So what they say come from, quote, a range of authoritative sources, end quote. And they have launched a new collaboration with the Mayo Clinic in, U in the US to create new videos, new content that will share valid information on various cancer conditions. So great initiative by the sound of it, but it's very new. We'll see how it turns out. Mm -hmm. At least they're trying. Yeah, it's just uh, that yeah. that it's um, it's a double-edged sword because then it becomes YouTube who decides who counts as authoritative sources, and uh, and even though even though they are teaming up with groups of experts, they are collaborating with uh, with yeah. people like the Mayo Clinic yeah. and others. Yeah. So uh, hopefully they defer those decisions to experts. Hopefully, <laughs> mm. yeah. 
But it's an important initiative. I agree mm. with that. And um, mm. and there are very important initiatives because we need to be aware of our surroundings. We need to be aware of what's real and what's not what not real. And especially when it comes to environmental issues and things that are of global significance and we need to tackle them together. And this is why a lot of educational materials are out there. A lot of educational programs are available that try to sensitize young people to environmental issues, right? And mm-hmm. um, now the University of Bath, uh, and especially the Miller Center for Evolution at the University of Bath, set out to try to understand whether certain conservation issues in schools could have a real effect on the attitudes of children towards the environment and towards conservation issues. So they teamed up with the Mayo Biodiversity Foundation in Mayo, Cape Verde, the the west coast of Africa is what we are talking about. And it's an international team of researchers who evaluated uh, the foundings. So what they did was they offered a one-off, just a one-time classroom activity that focused on raising a little bit of knowledge about local environmental issues. And they assessed their attitudes and their knowledge as well, and what they seen the future to be like in terms of the environmental issues before and after this one-time school activity or class classroom activity. And it turns out that they could actually raise awareness of a couple of things. So in terms of knowledge, they could improve the situation, but the effects and what the children thought, these are children between 9 and 10 years of age, uh, so fourth grade children and around 140 of them across eight schools. There were differences uh, between the different schools, but the educational material was focusing on a, on a large wetland habitat of the island of uh, Cape Verde. And the results, unfortunately, didn't show any change in the attitudes mm. and the future aspirations as to what the environment needs in order for it to be taken care of and to be saved from destruction. So that doesn't necessarily mean that education... So I I would refrain from interpreting this as these educational programs do not matter at all. Mm -hmm. What it shows is just that a one-off education action Mm -hmm. doesn't do the trick. No, there's yeah. no easy fixes like that. You'll have exactly. to work on it constantly, all the time. Exactly. Yeah, and it has to be like, for example, my old school, they had, a, in German it's called Schulacker, so they had a field that belonged to the school where they actually planted like pumpkin, cucumber, mm. zucchini, um, beans, and it was a club to care for that. And of course that made people more appreciative of nature and of the environment and what also what pollution can cause so i mean that's of course not possible that wouldn't be possible in a city school (laughs) because they don't have many fields lying around but yeah it's it's something that it needs to be continuous it needs to be weekly or monthly not not a once in a lifetime and thing (laughs) yeah of course and this piece of research shows exactly what has been shown by lots of papers on developmental psychology that they say that it's the examples and it's the attitudes can be formed by constant and consequent reliable actions. So those that can be followed by young people, that's the most important way they learn. They follow examples. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the, the, one of the greatest problems of humanity, I believe, that uh, we are following examples. And uh, even though politicians talk about something, they do a different thing. And uh, mm-hmm. that can be said about a lot of parents as well. So no wonder that attitudes cannot change overnight. It's not how mm-hmm. we do it. And yeah. now this piece of research shows exactly that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Research has also shown us again and again <laughs> that acupuncture has questionable effectiveness. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> 
the thing is that, uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise us in a skeptical podcast, I would say. <laughs> but the thing is that fertility treatments are on a rise. There's an increasing demand for it. And now we get to the acupuncture. <laughs> that means that um, private clinics have more and more often started to offer so-called alternative medicine treatments or SCAM, as Edzard Ernst calls them. And the thing is, they offer acupuncture for treating infertility. Mm, that's better than at least, uh, well, maybe it's not good, but <laughs> it's better than uh, dancing with the king that we talked about last week. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yes, <laughs> debatable if, if you'd rather have needles in your skin or dance with, with the king. Actually, and that, it's, that even I don't know, rhymed, I, so. take it, I take it back, I think both are awful. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a stuck between a rock and a hard place, so to say. <laughs> But yeah, there actually are even studies that can tell you how many fertility clinics do that and also how often it is not helping. They, in this study, they looked at the efficacy, the risks and the success rates of acupuncture for fertility. And quick and easy, the conclusion is that acupuncture for infertility as a treatment has the potential to infringe on patient autonomy, provide false hope and reduce the chances of pregnancy ever being achieved. And that is because the fertility that you have as a person who can bear children declines during the time where you wait and wait and wait for a treatment to take hold that is, can never be effective. And that's, that's the problem there. It's, it's, um, so, so you mean that you mean that if people are trying things that are not working yes. and waiting with yeah. treatments that do work, then the, their chances of success goes down. Yeah, and they're even like they're worse off. That's the problem. If they would try, yeah. let's say they think they're infertile and they try acupuncture and it doesn't work, then they're less fertile than having started an effective treatment yeah. from the start because they're less fertile several right. friends of ours have tried that and even conventional therapies in uh, brackets that that work <laughs> yeah. even that takes time that can take several years and there is a difference with the of the fertility of a person age 34 and age 40 there is a difference there and I personally as someone um, who has a child I find it unethically to do that because it's not working, it's it's creating false hope, and it's also like basically work with declining fertility. Hmm. So not happy about that at all. It's uh, not really acceptable. No, all scams are scam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I mean, in this regard, it won't lead to like immediate death, which would can which can happen if you, for example, um, stop your cancer treatment in favor of acupuncture. But it can is definitely still not ethical. Yeah, no, you can have a bad outcome that is not death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about a real doctor for a while then. <laughs> we have mentioned before a doctor, a Swedish doctor called Stefan Beistlöm. Mm -hmm. And the quick recap is that he helped a man who was terminally ill with ALS to end his life. Mm -hmm. uh, the man was approved for assisted death in Switzerland. You can get that approved. Uh, but he couldn't go there because of COVID restrictions. There were travel restrictions because of COVID. So Bayström instead supplied the necessary things. And I don't know exactly what it was. I guess it was drugs or something. Provided that to the man and then took a step back. And I, he specifically says, I put my hands behind my back so I couldn't be accused of actually administering anything. It didn't help. And he watched as the man did that himself. He administered the procedure himself. Then he immediately called the police, told him what, told them what he had done. And uh, they initiated a preliminary investigation, but that was dropped. So that, that was the backstory. However, the Swedish Health and Social Care Inspectorate, it's called IVO in Swedish, mm -hmm. they conducted an investigation that led, that, led to that Stefan Bergström lost his medical license. Uh, Bystrom appealed this decision to the administrative court, which at the end of May this year confirmed the decision. But he's not giving up, uh, this doctor. He's not done and he is retired, so he doesn't really need his license back from that point of view, but he wants to make a point of this. He wants to fight for the principle. 
And he means that the laws and regulations in Sweden are outdated and need to be modernized. For one thing, he says that Swedish law does not follow the European Convention for the Protection of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms. That's what he feels. So he has said he will continue to pursue the case. And now he has appealed the decision to the Administrative Court of Appeal. And if he fails on all instances, he will take it to the European Court of Justice. And if that happens, and if they rule in his favor, then that may mean not only that Swedish laws need to change, but perhaps also laws in other European countries as well. So it's interesting to see how this turns out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next thing I'd like to bring in it has a lot to do with religion and being religious and believing in spiritual healing. But the only real connection to Europe is that it's been done by one of the branches of the BBC. It's a BBC News Arabic. And they made an investigation in two countries, Morocco and Sudan, into terrible abusive practices of spiritual Mm. healers. So what am I talking about? It was an undercover investigation because there were a couple of allegations made of pretty widespread sexual abuse and exploitation by these healers. Overall, in this investigation, there were 80 women involved and they reported being raped, assaulted or manipulated into having sex. And this is the first of its kind of this investigation The problem is that it brings about, other than the obvious issue with with these terrible practices, is that uh, it cannot really be investigated through the normal ways of doing it because of the authorities and because of the cultural environment. And I think we should be keeping an eye on this because there are many, many religious communities in European countries as well Well, spiritual healing is a big thing. It's a real hit. And that is not only in Africa, but not even in Europe, is it a regulated practice. Because it's virtually non-existent when it comes to the healthcare system of any country. And it's rightly so. However, this means that there is no insight into what's going on in these communities where these practices are being done. So what happens? Imagine a person, especially young women, having fertility issues. We're coming back to that topic again. And because of their religious background, they do give credit to spiritual healers and they approach them with the request to help with their infertility problems. And these exploitative, abusive sons of bitches decide to go for it and use this as an opportunity to try and establish sexual relations with these women. Now, Mm. the problem is that these women, after the fact, they cannot report this. Imagine in a very religious environment, if you go to your family, you will be the one to blame. Mm -hmm. They will blame it all on you. You will be not only a victim, but also a perpetrator of the crime. Yeah, it will be your fault. It will be your fault. In some countries, in some communities, it will mean that you're excommunicated. You could even be severely punished, even killed. So that is one of the issues. The other thing is that the more a country's authorities are affected affected by those cultural memes as well and those cultural environments, the less they will even care about these issues. Yes, it's not something that we need to look at as some isolated set of incidents. It's systematic. And it is closely linked to these religious communities where belief in spiritual healing itself is very strong. So given that background, these women cannot be blamed for trying. But whoever exploits that and uses that opportunity to harm them is the one to blame. And they should be exposed and they should be punished. But these countries will definitely not move against them. So we need to talk about these on an international level because these women need help. And the best help would be for them 
not to be in that environment. But uh, I guess it's just not something that a lot of people are free to do. So mm. now, it's very, very difficult to, to address this and terrible. It is. It is. Uh, so, yeah. So a very serious topic. Uh, let's lighten the mood a little bit. Okay. <laughs> because, oh my God. I have the stupidest news of the week. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and it's about Uri Geller. And he's at it again. Oh, no. On the 14th of August, he posted this on Twitter, or rather X nowadays. And I will quote the tweet because tweets are not that long. <laughs> My dear friends, I cannot at this stage reveal any information about this photo. I'll come back to the photo that was attached. But please be patient until I'm allowed to say more, if at all. Meanwhile, I'm very curious what you all think about this picture. You might notice something I have overlooked. Remember, I have seen alien bodies at a NASA refrigerator room <laughs> with Dr. Werner von Braun and Captain Edgar Mitchell, who walked on the moon. There was a CIA scientist with us. End quote. So this is really, really stupid, but I haven't even come to the most stupid part. <laughs> of course, he's perpetrating alien nonsense and he's name dropping Werner von Braun and famous astronaut Edgar Mitchell, yeah. whose name he couldn't even spell correctly. So I, I <laughs> never mind. Never mind that. Can't spell. And these guys are unfortunately both dead, so they cannot refute the claim. So that's very convenient for, for Uri Geller. But the idiot that he is, the photo that he talks about, the one he attached, and he says he can't reveal anything about, was very quickly revealed by the power of the internet. <laughs> because the picture, and you could easily get the impression that he was there or even took the picture himself because he talks about visiting a refrigerator and he shows bodies lightened up in a sort of storeroom like that. But it is props from the TV series X-Files. <laughs> and of course, everybody on the internet pointed that out immediately. That's hilarious. <laughs> so I think maybe he got his X's confused. He was posting X-Files on the X platform. But uh, it really shows what a boomer he is. And <laughs> he thought that nobody would search for that image or find out where it came from. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Never gives up, does he? Yeah. No, he doesn't. Speaking of uh, hoping never to be found out where something came from, it's usually the case with a lot of money that's been given to the Catholic Church by the Hungarian government. Ooh. That <laughs> They give them a shitload of money, actually. Just to start with, we are talking about a country where the educational system is in ruins. Thousands of teachers have just left the system and nobody wants to become a teacher anymore in this country. Wow. There is no recruitment available of any sort. And, well, the healthcare system is equally in ruins. And uh, so is um, the whole economy. Uh, we are le the leading country in terms of the highest level of um, uh, inflation when it comes to basic everyday things to buy. <laughs> so congratulations <laughs> wonderful but still the hungarian government manages to find the money five billion hungarian foreigns which is about 13 million euros to equip a small town of about 7800 people with a church educational district so there has been a high school that was maintained, that has been maintained by the, the church since 2015. But now they are building up a whole educational district with kindergarten and an elementary school and all that up until the level of higher education as well. So this is the municipality of Tomashi and just for the sake of it, there was a public tender issued for the creation of that educational district. And they will be spending 5 billion Hungarian forints on that. And that all goes to something that doesn't make sense. And it will be paid by the taxpayers who mm -hmm. are massively overtaxed in the first place. So... Uh, 
Yeah. No, but that explains why Frankie is so keen on... He's visited uh, Hungary at least twice, maybe yeah. more than that, yeah. during his papacy. And uh, he probably thinks Orban is doing quite a good job. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But mm-hmm. they are building building a massive institution with uh, sports fields as well, all kinds of different classrooms, a new chapel, and uh, dormitories as well. So it will all be like a, a big brainwashing machine. Awesome. Glory be! <laughs> Hallelujah! Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was originally preparing to nominate them for, for being really wrong, but... It has been done many, many times on this show uh, with the Hungarian government, so I thought might as well just let it go. (laughs) (laughs) But we do have to talk about something or someone that has been really wrong lately. Yes, and I want to talk about someone who wrote a letter and is part of a party. I'm talking about, and Andras, I will need your help here. I'm talking about Giorgia Meloni of the Fratelli d'Italia. Giorgia, <laughs> Giorgia Meloni. Giorgia, okay, Giorgia, Giorgia Meloni. Meloni. And she's the prime minister and her party, Fratelli d'Italia or Brothers of Italy. Which is nice to be led by a woman. Oh. Yeah, it's actually surprising. <laughs> she and her party have repeatedly raised the question of who and what is remembered in Italy and commemorated. And also they say they want to see how the experience of Italian fascism is told. She, and by she I will always now mean Giorgia Meloni, questioned the way the nation marks April 25th. This is the day where Italy remembers its liberation from Nazi fascism and honors the victory of the Italian resistance. She said, um, (laughs) and I almost had to giggle in a non-funny way here, um, she says that people that that follow right-wing political views are effectively locked out of the commemoration. She said that the way this is commemorated, uh, it's used as a weapon of mass exclusion, so that a lot of people can't be recognized or commemorated. The thing is, she didn't mention the word anti-fascism once in that letter that she wrote. Yeah. So I don't want to go into too much detail here. Anyone who wants to know more can read up on it, can read up on Benito Mussolini and everything that happened in Italy. I don't want to give a history lesson here. I just want to say for wanting to commemorate people that shouldn't be commemorated in a positive way and for using her political responsibility in a bad way, Giorgia Meloni receives this week's prize for being really wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always a fascinating thing to hear someone playing the underdog from a position of power. Yes. So the emotional appeal of this to a lot of people yeah. is amazingly high, even though they are currently controlling everything in the country. So uh, yes, it's fascinating. It's something in German we call this Täter Opfer Umkehr, or in, in English you can also just say blaming Blessing. the victim or victim blaming. Oh, okay. But Täter Opfer Umkehr, I think, hits it a bit better because this means you turn around who is the perpetrator and and who is the victim. Mm. So kind of, I don't want to say everyone is a perpetrator or villain here, but kind of do want to say that. Okay, but that's enough of my my political views here. And that was this week's prize. <laughs> yeah, the problem with Giorgia Meloni is not that she is a right-wing politician, is that she doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, never mind. Thank you very much for that, Annika. And uh, that basically concludes our show. But before we go, we need a quote. Do we have one? Yes, we do actually have two. Oh, two. <laughs> and I have a little quote quiz for you today. Two quotes. Ooh, how does that work? So I'll give you the two quotes and I can tell you that each of them um, is out of a movie, a popular movie right now. Um, there's a tiny bit of a European angle there and I'll tell you after uh, you've guessed. Mm-hmm. So I give you the two quotes and then you can guess. The one quote is, humans only have one ending, ideas live forever. And the other quote is, why limit yourself to one dogma? 
Okay. And there are two very popular movies right now that uh, there are also memes about these two movies. So you probably will guess who which two movies I'm talking about. Yeah, I can give I can give I haven't seen any mm-hmm. of these two movies, but I'm sure you're talking about Barbie and uh, Oppenheimer. Yes, yes. And I think the first one is probably Oppenheimer. I'm a little bit surprised that the word dogma appears in a Barbie movie, but uh, what the hell, probably. What would you say, Andras? No idea. I have yet <laughs> to see both of them and I'm planning to see them before I go on my next tour. Don't know. I have no idea. I, okay. I would say, I would probably say, I would turn it around and I would say that it's the first one that is from Barbie and the, the second one is from Oppenheimer. It could be, could be. Yeah, and I will now give you the, the solution, of course. And Andres is right. Ah. Why limit yourself to one dogma is said yeah. by the eponymous Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer. I, I should have known. I even said it. Why would dogma appear in a film about <laughs> yes, Barbie? Yes. Uh, but the other <laughs> one was... Bad. My bad. The one with the ideas live forever was so good because it could have been out of Oppenheimer. And that's, yeah. uh, but it was actually uttered <laughs> by Ruth Handler in Barbie. <laughs> so it's not by Ruth Handler, but by Barbie, by the movie um, attributed to Ruth Handler. So there mm. you go. Um, and now I will tell you the European angle of that. And that is that... Killian Murphy, um, the lead actor of Oppenheimer, is of course Irish. So there you go. <laughs> and <laughs> he's a, a, a fucking genius. Yes. Everything he plays, he does an amazing job at. He's, he's like a golden goose. <laughs> Everything he touches turns into gold. <laughs> but Greta Gerwig is pre- pretty much the same in that regard. Um, she, she's an amazing movie maker but enough uh, enough gushing enough um, happy <laughs> happy movie watching <laughs> from my side I thought a little bit of pop culture couldn't hurt <laughs> so there you go that was that was the quotes this week <laughs> thank Fun. you thank you Annika <laughs> thank and you. Uh, I'd like to thank both of you Annika and Pontus for this show thank you thanks a lot many many thanks to our listeners as well for tuning in please keep doing so and until next week goodbye Tschüss. Buy a t-shirt. Hey, do. <laughs> Kauf dein t-shirt. Wenn ihr Tag polot. Wieslat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments, or death threats to info at theesp.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Um, don't want to say anything about blonde women. Um, this don't, is, no, don't, don't go there. This is, don't no, go no, there, no, I won't, I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> Mama, you're going to mommy finger. What's the color, please? It is yellow.